Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. The Bridge Church is at the movies. If you weren't here last week, you're like, what the heck is going on? Uh, every year we do this series called At the Movies, where I take some of my personal favorite movies and kind of pull out some biblical principles and preach next to them from some truths that God's Word tells us. So last week we talked about this movie called We Are Marshall. It's a fantastic football movie all about loss and hardship and just perseverance through everything. And I just talked about how God is a living and active God in our lives, and he's, he's got compassion on us. He sees us. He cares for us. And I talked about how that is relevant to all of our lives, and uh, I wore a, a Vikings jersey, which helped us propel to the victory, not to bring it up again, but I'm going to take every chance I can to tell that you guys lost, Packers fans, and we're going to relish in this, but today um, I am choosing my tire differently on purpose because I'm going to preach through one of my all-time, and I mean all-time favorite movies. And if you go home today and you're like, man, I'm getting bored of this football business, watch this movie because it is so, so good. I'll let you know it's rated PG from 1993, which is different than the PG of 2022. I'm just going to leave it right there, all right? You guys can fill in the gaps from there, but I feel like it's only appropriate this morning, as we talk about one of my favorite movies that I come representing, okay? And so, watch this clip from one of my all-time favorite movies, The Sandlot. Hamilton the Bay Porter. Long ball porter. Come on, Nunes. which I go as squints for Halloween. And it's going to be awesome. I asked my wife if she wanted to be Wendy Peppercorn, but we're still working on that part of it. So if you're not familiar with the movie, go home and watch it. This movie is so, so good. If you aren't familiar with the plot of the movie, let you get caught up here. And so there's this new kid in town the movie starts with, and his name is affectionately known as Smalls, all right? And so he is new to town. He doesn't really know anybody. And so he, he kind of walks around the neighborhood just trying to find something to do, and he stumbles upon this sand lot where they're— a bunch of neighborhood kids are getting together and they made a makeshift baseball diamond to play some ball. 
And you find out from the initial scene um, that, that it's, they, they love playing baseball. It's what they live for. Every single day they're playing together. But from this scene, what, where it cut off just a little bit earlier, I couldn't find the full, full clip online. But what happens is he's sitting here for this first game, and Ham hits just a bomb over the fence. And so he's like, they're all like, we can't play no more. They're all getting mad at him. You saw that. But then Smalls, who doesn't really know what's happening, starts running to the fence. He's like, don't worry, guys. I'll go get the ball. And so as he's starting to climb the fence, the whole group is like, no! Like they're all going crazy, like do not go over the fence. Because on the other side of that fence is a man-eating dog called the beast. Super realistic, right? Like this is like the epitome of like childhood neighborhood ball. I mean, just like the, the, like the craziness and just the over-dramatized things. But where the plot of the movie really gets thick is when they're, after Smalls gets this, and then they have the s'more scene, which is just like the most iconic scene of all of film filmography, um, like super, super good. They realize, okay, this is no good. So one day they hit another ball, they destroyed the ball, and they're like, man, we can't afford a new ball. We can't play for a long time now. And Smalls wants to be the hero. Like he's the new guy on the scene. He's like, don't worry, everybody. I got this. I got this. My dad's got a baseball on the mantle at home. And so I'm going to grab that. All right. You know, there's some writing on it. Probably some, somebody. So he grabs that. They go back to the diamond. They're ever like, yeah, yeah, you're the man. You're awesome. And so because it's his ball, he gets to hit first. And so Smalls is up there and boom, hits another rocket over the fence and everyone's excited for him like yes that's awesome and then you just see smalls go like oh like the ball is gone they're like dude don't worry about it we'll get you another ball he's like no you don't understand there's like a signature on they're like who was it i don't know baby ruth babe ruth and they freak out because babe ruth is like their idol right and so it's like this whole thing and so that begins the actual plot of the film where they have to get this ball back they have to get it back because if not his old man's going to literally kill him and so they're freaking out they're trying to figure out and they realize the only way to do this the only way to get this ball back is they have to address their greatest fear the beast they have to conquer the beast. Fear is an interesting thing. If you were to ask 10 different people what their greatest fear is, odds are you'd get like 10 different answers. You might get spiders. You might get heights. You might get armed robbers. You might get snakes. Can I just tell you, I'm not too man enough to, under, to tell you that I hate snakes. They are my greatest fear. Let's just, let's just take a little biblical seminary class here. What was Satan personified as? A serpent, okay? And so for all of y'all who are like, look at my kids got snakes. It's like, no, that's disgusting. Snakes are terrible. When, my, when I first brought my wife here to Minnesota, um, we, were, we were swimming on the lake. And we're like swimming and all of a sudden we're in the deeper part of the lake and you get those weeds that are kind of on your feet. And she's like freaking out. And she's like, there's a snake under here. And I'm like, Snakes can't swim. Like, I'm, I'm trying to, like, talk her down, and she tells, proceeds to tell me, in Indiana, where she's from, there are these snakes called water moccasins that can literally swim on the surface of the water. As if I didn't have any more reason to understand that Indiana was a God-deprived state, they now have snakes that can swim on top of the water. 
Snakes are just my greatest fear. I will turn into a little girl and squeal and run the other direction if I see one. So do not hold that against me, okay? Because you got your own fears too. Like your sister-in-law, the DMV, there's all kinds of things you're scared of. But for some of us, fear is like interesting because for some, like your greatest fear is like enjoyment for somebody else. Like for some of you, heights are like your like kryptonite. Like if you get too close to the edge, like your hands start to sweat, you kind of get freeze and get paralyzed. And some of you wish roller coasters came with less seat belts because you just want to like ride it a little bit more intense. Fear is one of those crazy, crazy things that it's so diverse and so Unique, But in the church world, I think fear is all the more interesting or intriguing because there's this idea that gets floated around that if you have faith in God, you don't need to fear anything. If you have faith in Jesus, you, you, you can't and quite frankly shouldn't be scared of anything. It almost feels like they are mutually exclusive. Like if you've got faith, you don't have fear. And if you have fear... You don't have faith. It just feels sometimes like that is what is communicated. It feels like that is what is understood. Yet I think biblically that's incorrect. You can have faith in God, but also have fear. You can have faith in the Almighty who breathed life into existence. You can have faith in the God who does miracles. You can have faith in God who you know is with you and beside you and behind you and everything, yet still approach things in your life and go, this scares me. And so if you're taking notes, if, you, if you're that kind of way, if you go back and look at things, I have some points for you today as we talk about fear, because I believe fear is something that we just don't talk about correctly in the church. And so the first point I have for you today is fear is functional. Fear is functional. Uh, before uh, before I, I went to Bible college and met my wife, because that's one of the main reasons you go to Bible college, you know, I, before I met her and I was studying commentaries and that type of thing, I spent a lot of my time studying chemistry at NDSU. So today, you're going to get a little bit of my science nerd, okay? I love science. I just want to break some things down with fear for you from a science perspective. Because biologically, this concept of fear is something that you were born with as a safety mechanism. You were born with this idea to be afraid of certain things to keep you safe. It's why you're scared of things like snakes or spiders because they can kill you. That's probably a good thing that you're a little scared of them sometimes. And so to break it down, fear is functional. When you experience a fearful stimulation in your life, something that scares you, whether it's someone walking down the alley with you at night who looks sketchy, or whether it is or you're hiking along the edge of a cliff and you peer over and go, man, that's really high, or whether you're enjoying a picnic and a nice little critter crawls up to you wanting to eat you, you experience some form of fearful stimulation, and here's what happens. Your eyes observe the thing, and it sends a bunch of stimuli through your brain. The neurons and all the electrical connections in your brain send that observation to a part of your brain that's in the shape of an almond called your amygdala. Everyone say amygdala. In your amygdala, you process this stimuli or this thing, and it immediately sends a message to a different type of your brain known as the hypothalamus. And I per, I'm sorry, I did not finish my chemistry degree. But I believe that is how it is pronounced. But that 
part of your brain now kicks into your motor functions. So your amygdala goes, oh boy, this is bad. I need to get the hypothalamus involved. And the hypothalamus now kicks your body into gear. So what happens is you go, oh no, there's a threat. So your heart rate and blood pressure increase. So that if you need to fight, if you need to run, your body is prepared. The bronchi in your lungs, which is like the two little uh, stems that go into your lungs, they widen and get bigger so that you can intake and exhale oxygen at a better, more efficient rate. Your gastrointestinal system slows down because you don't need it right now. (laughs) Sometimes it just releases. It's really scary. And then lastly, you begin to sweat because if you're going to exert yourself, you need to be able to cool down quickly. This is affectionately known as the fight or flight process. I just made that way more complicated than it needed to be, but now you understand the science behind it. But I think what is so interesting is that this all happens in nanoseconds. Your eyes observe, which immediately sends a signal to your amygdala, to the hypothalamus, to all those things happen before you even have to realize and verbalize, oh crap. It happens so, so fast. And so I think we as human beings have to understand that we were created by God. Psalm chapter 139 says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We can't just pick and choose when we use this verse. We can't just pick and choose like, oh, I'm wired this way. Like, no, you are physically created with these parts of your brain. God put these inside of you for a reason. And so I think so many times we think that, man, I just wish I was fearless. I just wish I didn't have to be afraid of things. But God put these things in your brain for a reason. And so if we're trying to just like not be fearful, if we're trying to just go like, I just wish nothing scared me, nothing intimidated, nothing in this world could set me back. You're not just fighting an idea, you're fighting biology. Because you were created to be fearful. You were created to be scared of things because it can keep you safe. So the presence of fear is not the lack of faith because God put that inside of you. But fear is something that is meant to help us and assist us and not control us. Because it's something that we have to continually manage well if we want to press on to all that God has in store for us. pristine condition.
All right, Asher, that's good. So here in this clip, they, what I didn't show you is they had tried everything to try and get this ball before they got to this point. They would grab a stick and try and get underneath the fence and swoop it under. They actually fashioned like this, like they grabbed a pot from their mother's kitchen and like attach it to like a metal pole and then like fish underneath there to try and grab the ball. And then the beast like mangles the metal and like just throws it over the fence because it's again super realistic and so like all this stuff happens but push comes to shove and they realize the only way in which we are going to actually get this ball back is we have to come face to face with the object of our fear we have to face it and so for the, in this moment you see benny uh benny the jet as he's known in the movie jumps over the fence, uh, and then what actually ends up happening is the beast doesn't love that the ball is gone, so he starts chasing Benny through town, and then we'll pick it up here in just a little bit. But as it comes back to St. Francis in 2022, I'm here to tell you that fear is foe. Not F-O-E, like your enemy. Fear is foe in the sense of it can be broken down. It's fake in some ways. If you look at so many of the struggles, the frustrations, and the stresses of your life, I would submit to you that at the very root of those stresses is some form of fear. Like this is not, this is not different. This is a different kind of fear than the physical fear. This is different than I'm scared of snakes. This is a more of a, there's something inside of me that just rocks me to my core that has me afraid. It might be the fear of not being liked. People pleasers in the room, you know how this goes. I don't want them to not like me. The things that they might say behind your back terrify you. Like they are the things that just drive you wild. You don't want to be disapproved of. And so it has you in some form of fear. And you might be like, that's a little extreme. Like I'm not scared of people disliking me. But if it didn't, then why would we respond the way that we do? Because we are responding to that fear. There's a fear of security. Whenever there's a financial crisis, maybe it's a medical bill. Maybe it's losing your job. Maybe you're getting a pay cut. Maybe you have these unexpected expenses. That root stress is anchored in a fear of what if we're not okay? What if we're not going to be taken care of? What if I can't provide for my family? What if I can't provide for my spouse? What if I lose my house, my car, my stuff? It's fear. We're, we're, we're scared of it. It, it. it intimidates us. It makes us feel afraid. There's a fear of failure, of not being successful. A little teaser, we're going to talk about this one a lot more in depth next week. But there's also the fear of the unknown. Like, I don't know what this world's going to do. I don't know if my kids are going to be okay. I don't know what happens when I do this or do that. I don't know what's going to happen. And that fear is uncertainty. And that fear of uncertainty really boils down to a fear of losing control because you're at the mercy of what's happening in your world. You see, when we get scared, we get stressed, and we have this looming stressor in our life, and like our body takes over when we're afraid of something physically, our mind, when we are afraid of something, when we are stressed about it, elicits a response almost subconsciously as well. I'm going to put some scripture on the screen It's in the book of Matthew. It says this. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. This was after Jesus was taken. This was after he was getting ready to be crucified. And so all the disciples scatter because they realize Jesus is about ready to to go through it. He's about ready to be tortured and killed. And we don't want to be anywhere near him when it happens because they'll try and kill us too. And so here's Peter. 
who just before has said, Jesus, I don't care if the world comes against you. I will stand up for you. I will stand behind you. And then we pick up with our good friend Peter here in verse 70. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about. Pay attention to the punctuation here. Verse 71. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow of Jesus, or this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. Exclamation point. He's, in, he's, getting, he's getting stronger with his response. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. And then Peter began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. The more his fear intensified, the more his response intensified. The more that he got afraid, the more he realized, oh boy, they're on to me, the more he went from denial to rejection to anger. As that fear got scarier, as that fear got more intense, Peter naturally got more intense in the way he responded to it. So my question for you, the question I've had to ask myself is, what are you scared of? What are you fearful of? Because so many times, the answer to that question will say a lot. Because I think if we're really honest with ourselves, if we're really anchored in who we are, and we take the time to be as objective as possible, there are things that we do in our life that we wish we didn't. I wish I didn't outburst at my kids as much. I wish I wasn't as back and forth with my emotions. I wish I didn't do that. I wish I didn't do that. And so many times we try to just address the response without addressing the root. Because if you don't address the root of the fear, that response will come back over and over and over again. In the same way that your brain will continue to make you fearful when danger comes against you. You can't fight it until you address the root of it. So instead of trying to just eliminate the response, we have to get to the core of what we are afraid of. If we can't Understand that we're fearing or that we're afraid of people not liking us. We can't begin to stop the manipulation, the lying, the gossip if we don't first acknowledge that we're just scared of not being liked. We can't stop the self-medicating, whether it's the alcohol, the pills, the substances, even just the normal run-of-the-mill things. We like to escape and let our brains have a break. Right? So when I talk about things to self-medicate, I'm not just talking about those things. We're talking about when we just drown ourselves in a Netflix show. We drown ourselves in music. We drown ourselves in something just to escape. And there's not inherently anything wrong with that. But the problem is if we don't come back to address the fear, we will continue to run back to that over and over and over again. We can't stop the angry outbursts, the depressive states, the sleepless nights, the incessant checking of our bank accounts, the gossip, if we don't first understand that at our core, we have a little bit of fear. We have, we have to stop ignoring it. We have to stop just denying it. There are things in our life that make us fearful. And so the answer is not to fear less because that in itself, as we've discussed, is impossible. The answer is to just change how you respond to it, how you use it. I want to show you this last clip from the Sandlot. You're in trouble, aren't you, son? Yeah, well, uh, that was my stepdad's fault. 
I took it without asking. It was signed by Babe Ruth. George signed this? George Herman Ruth? Yeah. I take it back. You're not in trouble. You're dead where you stand. <laughs> Hold on. trade you. That's really nice of you, but that ball really is signed by Babe Ruth. So is this one. For the rest of the 1927 Yankees. Man. Murderer's Row. Lou Gehrig. Babe Ruth. But why would you trade? That one's all chewed up. I got a lot of good stuff. Look at that stuff. Besides, you need it more than I do. George? I sure did. And he knew me. He was almost as great a hitter as I was. I would have broken his record, too, but... You went blind. Yep. I used to crowd the plate so that strike zone almost disappeared. Pitchers hate that. That's the way I play. 100% all the time. Baseball was life. And I was good at it. Real good. And then, one day, a high fast one and pow, lights went out. I don't think we can take this ball. I'll tell you what. You guys come by here once a week and talk baseball with me. We'll call it an even trade. Deal! Even though Bill loved the murderer's row ball, he was still plenty mad about me having swiped his Babe Ruth autograph ball and ruining it. So I didn't feel too bad when he grounded me for a week instead of the rest of my life. Wow. It's amazing what happens when you face your fear and do something about it. You really unlock another part of your life that you didn't know you had. For so long, these boys never even crossed the fence because they knew the beast was on the other side. They knew that he was waiting for them, and as, as we saw in this scene. But what ends up happening, the, reason, the way they got into this house is as Benny's coming back to the sandlot, the beast is chasing him. So Benny hops the fence to try and get the dog back in, and as he does that, the, fen- the dog hops the fence, and then the fence falls over and lands on the beast. And so they end up rescuing the beast and pulling the fence up and letting him live. And, and the beast comes up and licks Small's face. And it's, it's just this tender-hearted moment. But then the owner of the beast, James Earl Jones in the movie, was the guy who was sitting in the house. And so he invited them in. That's where we picked up this scene. But I think what happens, as I love, and I know this is a movie, but I think in the same way we can relate this to our life, that so often your fear inhibits you from stepping into what God's called you to do. So many times your fear kind of stops you up close. And as you come up close to it, we step back. But it's not just that we're missing out and not facing that fear. It's that we're missing out on the other side of what God wants 
for us. See, it happens when you're fearful is there's a paradox because there's a, uh, there's a disconnection from what you believe and what you're experiencing. You know, while you might believe that God's got this, everything's going to work out, it's going to be great, you might believe that, but at the same time, the emotion of what you're processing, the way it makes you feel, the way you are in your situation is different than what you believe. Put it in a different way, I would say it this way, what you feel is not in agreement with what you know. And that is where fear really sits, is I know this to be true, but it doesn't feel true. And fear is right in that chasm. So the, the response to fear, the way that we have to do is we have to choose what we're going to believe. We have to choose if we're going to lean on what we know or what we feel. And I'll tell you from experience, as I think all of us can relate to, the easier response to that is what you feel. It's what we fall back on. It's a, we can, a lot of times emotions are the driver behind what we do or what we say. But I believe the better answer, I believe the answer that God, God calls us to do is to step out in faith in what we know. And that is where faith is coming in, is because faith is saying, I know it doesn't feel this way. I know it doesn't look this way, but I am trusting that it will be this way. And that is where faith is at the crux. And so the last point I have for you is fear is inferior. If you're looking for the third F, fear is fragile. Some of you guys like the alliterations, and I'm sorry, but fear is inferior. And I want to share this with you, Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the laws my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditated on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. And oh yeah, by the way, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Fear is a safety mechanism. It's an an innate response, but it is not something that is unconquerable. I find it so interesting as I studied this passage before that repetition in the Bible usually signifies importance. When things are repeated over and over and over again, it's a lot of times really an emphasis on this one idea and this one concept. But as I studied this week, there was something that was said that I thought was so so intriguing is it's important to understand the context of where this Bible passage comes in. See, Joshua was the servant of Moses. He was like his, his assistant, basically. And Moses was in charge, charged with taking the Israelites out of slavery, out of all this oppression that they had in Egypt to their promised land, to this place where they had freedom and land and all this good stuff. And that was Moses' job, but he couldn't get it done. So Moses dies, and all of a sudden, God is saying, Joshua, I'm calling you. I'm calling you to take my people into the promised land. And the scholars are saying, I think the reason they said three times, be strong and courageous, was because Joshua was petrified. Those are some big shoes to fill. Moses was one of the greatest leaders of the time, and he couldn't get the job done. So imagine how Joshua feels when he goes, I'm supposed to do this? Me, the assistant, 
the temp? You want me to step into this? And they have all this insecurity, this fear of failure, this fear of not doing a good job, this fear that he's not going to live up to what God called him to do. He's scared. And so three different times he says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. If I were to break it down this way, I think what's, what's, what's happening is God saying, hey, before you step into this role, before you go here, I need you to know, Joshua, be strong and courageous. It's going to get scary. It's going to feel tough, but be strong. Dig deep. Find courage. When it's hard to see it, you got to be strong. Do the right thing. Look, stick to what Moses told you to do. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid for I am with you. And there, right there, is the antidote for fear. Yes, it's functional. Yes, it's faux. It can look, take on many different types of personas and different ideas. But fear is inferior to courage. Fear is inferior to what God can do in and through you. We're not standing alone. I love how he says this. Don't be afraid because I am with you. Don't worry because I am with you. This morning even, I was just processing through this, praying through this. And so many times what I've loved about being a dad is it really helps me understand how God sees me. Because God is an almighty father. He's a good dad. He understands and sees things. And so many times we have our two small kids. And there are so many times that early on Ellis would come in and goes, I'm scared of being in my bed alone. I'm scared of being in the dark. And as the parents we were, we just said, buddy, don't be afraid. There's nothing that's going to come against you. And if there was, dad's going to take them down when they come into the house. It's going to be awesome. But we as parents can say, hey, don't be afraid. Don't worry about it because we'll protect you. We can tell him to not be afraid because we know that if there was ever anything that would come against him, we would take care of it. And so when we tell him to not be afraid, it's not taking away his emotion. It's not taking away his feelings. It's giving him assurance that no matter what comes your way, buddy, we got you. We got your back. And so when God says, don't be afraid, he's not saying, hey, stop fretting. You're bad for being afraid. He's saying, don't worry because you might be scared. You might be afraid. You might feel uneasy, but don't worry because I am with you. And there is nothing that can come against you that I can't push back. There's nothing that you can, you can walk through that feels so tough, so impossible that I can't deliver you from. Don't be afraid for I am with you. And that is the antidote. That is the thing. And so this morning, I want to pray with you because I'm going to be really transparent. Fear is something that for me goes beyond snakes. Fear is something I wrestle with all of the time. So much so that when I was a senior in high school, I had to memorize a scripture because every time I got afraid, I had to just cling on to something to say, not be afraid. And so if you're like me and you're like this, I would encourage you, Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 says this, do not be afraid for I am with you. Do not be discouraged for I am your God. I will uphold you and deliver you with my victorious right hand. There were times I was running on a track and I was afraid of losing and looking like an idiot. And I'm saying that in my head going, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Wow, this sucks. Why am I doing this? 
But that scripture for real is something that I have held on to. And I can tell you that as I've gotten older, as I've gone through more life, the fear has not went away. If anything, the reasons to be more fearful have only gotten more intense. But so has my faith. Because I've seen over and over and over and over again, God come behind me and make a way for me when things didn't look good. I've seen God deliver me and keep me safe when everything else was telling me it wasn't going to be. I have seen God provide when it felt like we were up against a battle. I have seen God move over and over and over and over again. And that's why we can find courage. That's how we can find strength is because I've seen God do it once and we'll see him do it again. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I couldn't get up here and tell you to not be afraid if I didn't have that last part of it. If I couldn't tell you that God wasn't going to be with you, yeah, you'd have every reason to be afraid and to feel opposed. But because of those words, for I am with you, that is the answer to your fear. And so if I could get really practical with you for a second, here's my challenge to you. Sometimes you have to speak to your fear. I know I'm scared. I know this is tough, but God, you're with me. God, you're, you're going to deliver me. How we pray. Not because you pray because that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. We pray because we say, God, I know you're with me, but it sure doesn't feel like it. Will you just help me? Will you give me another ounce of strength? And there's something powerful about just feeling God's presence in that moment. Because when you speak and you ask, he is there. When you speak, he is there. Some of you this week have to speak to your fear. You have to speak to your fear about your kids. You have to speak to your fear about your job. You have to speak to your fear about your future. You have to speak to your fear and say, I know it feels tough, but God, you're with me. Because of that, I know there's nothing, literally nothing, that can come against me. If you're looking for a place to help, here's what, I would, here's what I would encourage you with as well. The enemy can speak a lot of fear and a lot of lies to you when you're by yourself. The enemy can just whisper all the lies. God's not coming for you. You did that. You did this yourself. You can sit in that own stuff. That's on you. The lies. The serpent, I joked about at the beginning, but in Genesis chapter 1, the serpent didn't speak to Eve until she was by herself. And that's when he spoke to her and said, you can eat the apple. It's not a big deal. I wonder if he would have spoke to her the same way if Adam was right next to her. If you struggle with fear, if you struggle with the life demands that come your way, I would encourage you, we don't just do small groups. We don't just do Bible studies just because that's what we do at church. We do them because there's power in doing life together. There is power in a bunch of people coming together and saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'll pray with you. I'll hold you tight. There is something different about community where God's presence is just palpable. Where two or more are gathered, there I am with you. God moves 
in community. And so on your way out, if you struggle with fear, memorize the scripture, do that type of thing. But on your way out, grab a small group and step out of your comfort zone. Step out of what intimidates you. Join a Bible study. There's signups out there. Do something to get with people because I promise you when you get around people who are on the same mission to chase after God, the weights, the chains, the fears that so hold you down start to fall off in Jesus' name. And so do something powerful. Step out and act because as you do it i believe just like the boys experienced in the sand that you will experience purpose you will experience freedom you will experience things in your life that you've only dreamed of and they're going to be better than you've dreamed of because when you get past the fear when you get past the thing that's holding you back you realize god is moving for you and doing things in your life that you never thought possible So don't just do it to have more peace do it because on the other side of that fear is what god's calling you to do And it will impact not just you, but the people around you. And it's a whole lot of fun living in the middle of God's will for your life as you get over fear. Will you join me in prayer this morning? Jesus, fear is something that intimidates us. God, fear is something that we know you've put inside of us. But Jesus, we know that fear is inferior to the courage you give us. God, today, I pray for every single person in this room because we don't even need to respond to it because I think if we were honest, every single person that can hear my voice in this room, online, in their car, whenever they listen, Jesus, we all know what it's like to be afraid. We all know what it's like when we are scared and we feel overwhelmed and we feel like we can't possibly muster the strength to get over it. But God, you are with us. And God, you deliver us from that fear. You can leverage that fear to grow us and to challenge us and to shape us. So today, God, I pray for everyone in this room, everyone in earshot, that they would feel that you are with them. You're with them. You're with them in the hospital room. You're with them at the kitchen table. You're with them at the soccer field. You're with them, God, when they're sitting at the bedside. God, you are with them in all circumstances. So may they not feel afraid. May you replace that worry and that fear with strength and peace. Jesus, would you just do a new and a fresh work inside all of us? God, we need you. And for those in the room who want you in that way, but maybe they don't feel like they've been close to you. Maybe they don't feel like they deserve you. May they know, Jesus, that you hung on that cross so that we can have access to you, that all we have to do to have this moment with you is to say, Jesus, I've made mistakes. Jesus, would you forgive me? And the Bible says that in that moment, we're made right with you. So Jesus, would you do a new work in this church, a new work in this community as we love you and worship you the best way that we can? Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.